Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Day two from Radio Row, yesterday's big talk all over the trade that sends Matthew Stafford to the L.A. Rams. I'll be joined by Hall of Famer Ram legend Marshall Falk momentarily. He's got a lot to say about that trade, and I can't wait to hear from Marshall. Also joining the show in just a bit, Super Bowl 25 MVP Otis Anderson will be on with us. New York Giants legend, can't wait to get to him. Today's news Right now, Sammy Watkins for the Kansas City Chiefs looking like he will play this weekend. He participated in practice today after not practicing just a few days ago. Watkins looks like he's a go. Demarcus Robinson, another Chiefs wide receiver, his status in doubt for the upcoming game. Demarcus Robinson on the COVID reserve list. The only way he can play in Super Bowl 55 now is with five straight days of negative tests. But Sammy Watkins coming back. Huge news for Patrick Mahomes. Huge news for this Chiefs offense against the Tampa Bay secondary that was among the bottom feeders in football this season. Just the 21st ranked passing defense in the league. And look, you saw what Kansas City could do against Tampa Bay last time these two teams met. 17-0 the Chiefs led at the end of the first quarter. This Bucks defense is definitely hot at the right time. Their front seven among the best in the league, no doubt about it. The secondary needs a lot of work. And when you've got Sammy Watkins coming back, even if he's just a decoy for Tyreek Hill, who put up 270 yards the last time these two faced off, for Travis Kelsey, who statistically just had the best season of any tight end in NFL history, and for a guy like McCole Hardman, who can burn you down the field any given play, I mean, just having Watkins' body out there is a huge win for the Chiefs going into this game. Look, the battered offensive line right now that Kansas City has means the more track star wide receivers you give Patrick Mahomes in this game, the better. You know, don't forget my Al Pacino comparison to Patrick Mahomes, right? He doesn't need an all-star cast. Just give him some serviceable pieces and he'll make the final product a masterpiece no matter who's around him. That's how good this kid is. And he's got a chance to go up against the best of all time this weekend, right? It's all the hype. The GOAT, the greatest ever to do it, Tom Brady, taking on Patrick Mahomes, who is the heir apparent to the title of the greatest quarterback in the league. Not of all time just yet, but I'd say two straight Super Bowl appearances in just his, what, third year of playing time? Yeah, Mahomes is on his way. Now, the Bucks get some added help, too, this week. Vita Vea will play. Of course, he's been playing this postseason. He missed the matchup against Kansas City the last time these two teams squared off. And Vayat absolutely helps this Bucks defense in both facets of the game. Definitely helps them stuff the run, but they're already the best defense in football at doing that. Now, with the injured Chiefs offensive line, how much can Vea 
help their pass rush. That's where he's going to be a big improvement for Tampa Bay from the last time that these two teams met. Even though the Chiefs right now, most of their problems are on the exterior of the line, Vita being an interior rusher, can still wreak havoc on this Chiefs offensive line and Patrick Mahomes. But that's where it's nice to have a quarterback in his 20s, right? Because we saw Mahomes, even though most of the game against Buffalo, he was untouched, we saw him make throws on plays where he was halfway to the ground, where he was being wrapped up. Matt Milano got back there on a couple instances. And Mahomes is still acrobatic enough, still has the poise and the vision to create things, to make plays happen, even as things are crumbling right around him. So we'll see how much Veya helps Tampa Bay in this one. But Sammy Watkins, I think that addition is so much more monumental to the outcome of this game than Vita Veya being on the field for Tampa Bay in that front seven. Look, we got to talk about this Tampa Bay passing defense, right? I mean, they're cornerbacks. You know, we talk about Kansas City and the track stars that they have at wide receiver, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, whether or not he plays obviously still in question. Then you've got Travis Kelsey, the best tight end in the game by far. And how the hell is Tampa Bay supposed to answer that in their secondary? I mean, Antoine Winfield is back. He's playing. Jordan Whitehead, who had an incredible championship game against Green Bay, his status is up in the air going into this game. And the safety position, if you want to effectively guard a tight end, the safety position is enormous for Tampa Bay. Winfield had a great rookie season, but how's he going to react to a season team, an offense led by Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, guys that have been in this moment just a year ago, you know? And I know they say to treat this like any other game. It's impossible. You can't do it. And being a rookie, you have to see how much this will impact Antoine Winfield when the pressure's on and he's called to help out on Tyreek Hill or help out on Travis Kelsey in the stretch, and you have to see if he's able to step up in the moment. But Kansas City right now, I just love the way this offense is rolling. My prediction, of course, comes on Friday. You'll have to wait for that. But Tampa Bay's defense, as well as they're playing, I don't know if they or any other defense in this league could slow down Patrick Mahomes and company at the moment. And, you know, Mahomes acknowledges what he's going up against. He talked about that meeting with Brady in the AFC Championship game a couple years back and how much that meant to him and that getting Brady's stamp of approval meant a lot, but for Mahomes it wasn't good enough. You know, he wants to keep going. Now he feels that this could be the ultimate test. Is he able to take down Brady on the biggest stage? Like I said, having Sammy Watkins will help out a lot. When we come back, Super Bowl 25 MVP Otis Anderson, New York Giants legend, joins the show. Marshall Falk a little later on in the hour, so stick with us. Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo. back here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show now. It's two-time Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl 25 MVP, 
He's a St. Louis Cardinals and New York football Giants legend, Otis Anderson. Otis, thanks so much for joining the show. Hey, man, thank you. Thank you for uh, waiting up for me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, it's a busy week. I totally understand. Now, we're here down in Tampa, and you had maybe the most memorable game of your career right here in Tampa Bay, Super Bowl 25. You win the MVP. It was your second Super Bowl win as a Giant. How did your preparation for that game differ from the first Super Bowl when you guys were nearly double-digit favorites against the Broncos? How does the mindset change when you enter the game as a touchdown underdog against that stacked Buffalo Bills team? That's all we were was a touchdown underdog with them guys. You shoot about that. I'm showing so seven points. Remember, well, you remember they beat they, they beat the Raiders the week before, 55 to, I think, three or something like that. So yeah. uh, I'm surprised. And then they beat us early during the season. So seven points, really? That's what okay. I'm showing right now. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I, well, that was enough for them, man. It, have, <laughs> it wasn't enough. But I, I think what's different about that was the first time we played, um, we, we had a team that was so good with, with George Martin and Harry Carson as our leaders and and Sims being a leader, and you know Lawrence was younger, and and uh, we just had such a team that that had the right leadership in the right position for us, and and the fact that Joe Mars was was having one of the best years of his career, and uh, and 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 they and they believed they could win, and they 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 knew they could overcome obstacles, and we actually played Denver that same year, uh, doing doing the uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl, so we had some history with those guys but what was what was significant about that was the fact that I just got traded from St. Louis to New York at the time and I went from one and four to four and one and then later on playing in the Super Bowl and actually having a chance to score a touchdown so I would have never had that opportunity um, had the uh, Cardinal organization and uh, at that time Gene Stallings not feeling me as a as a runner for his for the team and traded me so it worked out and then the second game I had more of a more of a role mm -hmm. you know, the first game I was pretty much back up to Joe and as a token of appreciation process threw me in toward the end of the game to give him a chance to score if possible which I did but Super 25 that was my day in the sun where I had predicted out of Miami in 79 that if I was a feature running back and played in the state of Florida and uh, the Super Bowl was there, I would win most valuable player. And 12 years later, that happened. But what was significant about my prediction was the year before that, the game was at Joe Robbie Stadium, which was in Miami back door. Mm -hmm. And I was a feature running back because I made uh, comeback player of the year and I went over 10,000 yards. So if that was ever a moment for me to have that prediction come true, that was it. But, um, you know, Flipper Anderson had other reason and the Rams had other reason and they beat us and we didn't go. But the, but Maurice Cawthon told me that the Super Bowl was in Tampa the following year and I said we were going and we did. And it was an amazing season all around for you. I want to know in that game, you're going up against a great young star in Thurman Thomas. And at that point, you know, you hadn't ran for a thousand yards in four years. Most of your best seasons were behind you with the exception of that one year in 1989. How much did going up against a guy like Thurman Thomas, who all the buzz was about, how much did that juice you up a little bit going into that game? Well, you know, one thing as running backs, when we play a game and we play against somebody who has a running back with a lot of accolades, you know, we try to say, you ain't going to do that in my house. You know, that's kind of <laughs> how the approach we take. And, 
And um, my philosophy was I knew he was younger and probably much, you know, faster. And But I knew that my endurance and my strength and my knowledge of the game would be to my advantage because um, my team is going to use me differently than what his team is going to use. And not only that, they looked at me as being some old, anxious running back, running back that that uh, couldn't do anything. And then we had a, a backup quarterback, Hostel, who never really played in a game of significance. So they had in their mind that there was a cakewalk. Yeah. Know, it was a cakewalk for them because, you know, think about it. it, it even Sports Illustrated said the Giants need one big step, you know, and, and, and they showed a picture of me running the ball, you know, to win the Super Bowl. So nobody really gave us a chance, but our family members, our fans, and the coaching staff, because again, that, that K gun by Jim Kelly, boy, they can put some points on the board in a, in a heap in it. So we had to be aware of that. Yeah, they were a great team, that Bills team that went to four straight Super Bowls. You know, that was the first of four, and it definitely set the tone for the following three. Take us through the end of that game. Scott Norwood, when that kick goes up, man, if he makes that kick, there's a good chance that you're not Super Bowl 25 MVP, that they find someone on the winning team to give it to. What's going through your head as that ball takes the air? Well, they made it clear that, you know, Disney had a big part in this, believe it or not, because Disney were were standing behind me saying that if if um, if they missed the – if they miss the field goal, you're MVP of the Super Bowl. And uh, if and they had somebody standing behind Thurman saying, if Thurman, if they make it, you're the MVP of the Super Bowl. So you had those two situations going on. And, huh. and uh, you know, Thurman had a great, great game. And I'm glad that their egos were to the point where they felt they needed to throw the ball because that's what they've been doing. And had they figured out that they need to run the ball, it wouldn't have been close. They would have ate us up because – our defense was set to stop the kick pass of Jim Kelly and that great area uh, 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 feet that he had and not running the football. So, you know, they would have beat us up pretty good. Well, you guys did the job. Now, I mentioned that 1989 season being the first time in four years you had run for 1,000 yards. Look, you've got a ton of awards and accolades throughout your career, but comeback player of the year in 1989, where does that rank among them all for you? Oh, that's, that's important uh, it, it, because – it's like when they write you off, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you you haven't been playing. But remember, I wasn't written off because like a playing time or anything like that. I just didn't have an opportunity. The, the team that I was playing for um, had such a, a a great running back in front of me, and then I didn't really get a chance to compete for the job because I got traded in 86 in the middle of the season. In 87, we had a strike. So I really didn't get a chance to compete. And then in 88, where uh, they gave me short yards and goal line. Well, how can I compete and be, and be given to that? But Joe get hurt in 89, and I take over, and I go over a thousand yards, and then we put us up in the playoff. And, you know, yeah, I should have got comeback player of the year. I earned it at that particular time. And each chance I had played a complete season, I went over a thousand yards. That's why my argument with the, with the Hall of Fame is I got more yards than Earl Campbell. I got more yards than Terrell Davis, more touchdowns. Uh, my character uh, percentage is right in there. If you want to talk about accolades and honors, you can't get a better resume than what I have. So I, I just want to know what the what the Hall of Fame is thinking about and why I'm not in there. But 
you know, we'll figure that out another time, I guess. Otis, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Two rings on top of all your personal accolades. I mean, look, you know, I think rings matter when you're picking a Hall of Famer. And you've got that. You've got the MVP in the biggest, in the biggest game on the biggest stage. Man, I'm, I'm with you. I'm waiting for you to get that call. I want to look at this Giants team. What were your thoughts? Obviously, 6-10, and 10, not a great season. But what were your thoughts on this year's team and first-year head coach Joe Judge? I think the six and ten, six and ten was not a bad season because we had no training camp, yeah. we had no offseason to work our program. You got a new head coach, and he has no idea what kind of team he has. So he's basically copying and pasting as the season was going on. And if you notice, the Giants were in a lot of football games where they lost in the fourth quarter toward the last few minutes of the game. Yep. We even had we even had Tampa Brady beat until a few you know, seconds in the game. So we, we were on the right trend of becoming a, a good football uh, for a good football team, but we quite we didn't quite understand how to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew how to start and be competitive, but we didn't know how to finish. And as soon as they figured that out, you notice how we start winning toward the end and gave ourselves an opportunity to go to the playoff, but we know what our other – team down the road did that helped make sure we didn't go to the playoff you know and I was but, just about to get to that I gotta yeah. ask you man what what was going through your mind watching that Sunday night football game you know growing up as a Giants fan I was absolutely livid with Doug Peterson what was your reaction to watching him lay down for the Washington football team well I think he would have did that no matter if it was the Cowboys winning or us he, he just didn't want either one of us to go there but mm-hmm. I'm going to just tell you what process always tells us. You can't expect nobody else to do your dirty laundry but you. If you got dirty laundry, you got to go buckle up and do it yourself. So we was hoping and praying that they would do what said lay down and let us. No, we should have done our own homework and done our own dirty laundry, and we wouldn't have been in that position. That's some games that we clearly should have won yep. that we didn't win that put us in the position that we were in. So that's on us. That's on not knowing how to win. And not what Philly did as much as just hurt us pride-wise. And as an athlete, to see the, the competitiveness being taken away from guys who compete, it, you know, that's the only thing I got from that. But um, what he did, I can live with it. Because, again, if you take care of your own dirty laundry, you wouldn't have that issue. Yeah, and, you know, there were games throughout the year. You have Evan Ingram dropping that third down conversion against the Eagles you've got the Tampa Bay game which I still swear that was pass interference on the two-point conversion at the oh, end of that come moment. on you 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 know that even the Chicago game look at the Chicago game we had mm-hmm. you know where they win there you know it's, it's we got some bad calls but when you're a young team and yeah. and you're gonna get those bad calls and you're gonna get those plays where if you win it, maybe it goes the other way. Parsons always yeah. say, when you win it, 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 it uh, you get the call. But if you ain't a team competing, and, and you ain't going to to get them called that can go either way. You, most of the time, they're going to go against you. So, speaking of winning, what do you see the Giants doing next season? You get Saquon Barkley back. I know you happen to love Wayne Gallman. Uh, oh, where do you? Where, so, first I off, do. what do you love about Gallman so much? Because I think he's a great backup, well, but you, you really love him. Well, you know, I – I didn't. I didn't know Wayne was the same guy that was part of that Clemson uh, national championship team. He was the featured running back. So when I saw him play before Barkley, guy, I, I really liked him then, and I thought that he would be the the uh, the starter once he was, you know, uh, 
once everything was in front of them and given an opportunity. But then when they go get a guy number one, that tells you right away that you're going to be a backup. If this number one is any good, you're going to be a backup. And Barkley's pretty darn good. And what, what I like different from Barkley to, to Wayne is that Wayne was an opportunist runner. Mm-hmm. He's not going to try to beat you by making that big play, you know, dipping in the hole, popping outside, showing his athletic ability. And, you know, Wayne going to take the two yards and always try to fall forward. And, and Barkley, on the other hand, reminds me of myself when I first got in the league, which which was every time I touched the football, I thought I could go the distance. Yeah, That was never a time that I didn't have that ball in my hand. And I had to learn over a period of time, you can't go the distance every time you touch the football. You have to take what the defense is giving you and stay within the scheme of the play. I used to always improvise. And that's what you see. Barkley doing so much of his, his his ability to improvise on plays that if he just keep it in the hole and just take what the defense gives him and wait for the next play because opportunity will come. And Wayne showed that all year long by him staying in the pocket and running for two yards, hard running, and next thing you know, he got one for 15, one for 20, one for 30 because he stayed consistent and thinking that every time he touched the ball, he want positive yards because one thing we told as a running back is every time you can't touch the football and it's first down, your main concept and, and you should be, I want to be second and five, uh, second and four. You know, I'm always trying to make sure that we are in a manageable down for third down. I don't want third down to be second and eight second out of defense but if I'm touching the ball and I'm falling forward if I can fall three yards on two on two carries they're looking at a management third down so that's what Wayne Wayne brought to the game that I like about him you know and, and Barkley's gonna learn that he's gonna learn that and if you watch Wayne Gilman Wayne it, it, Gallman, he would know that that uh Wayne did a lot of things good and uh it's something for him to, to rethink what he's trying to do and uh you know, because he got all the ability, all the talent in the world, no doubt about that. And he's going to be a good one. But I think once he understands that every play ain't going to go the distance, he's going to be all right. Yeah, the Giants, you know, I mean, the running back position right now, they look all right. The offensive line's getting better. I still have yep. some questions about Daniel Jones at quarterback, but what's this team ceiling for next season? You, you sound like my wife about that dirty quarterback. <laughs> she is not a fan of Daniel Jones. I told her, listen, when you got the Manning brothers – and father telling you that this kid is going to be good and he's been in a, they tutored him for a long time, then how can you go against that? How can you not? <laughs> That's fair you enough. Know? That's fair enough. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and I think one thing that Jones has to understand too is on the Manning system. Uh, and I think um, he tried to make all the right throws, all the, the, the deep throws when sometimes, Intermediate route is just as important as the, the long route, and and I'm and Joe going to teach him that because that's that's how Brady made his name. Yeah, you know Brady wasn't a long ball thrower when he started his career. He had a lot of intermediate routes, and and that's where they are now. So if if Daniel watches watches film and really do his homework, he will see that there's a lot of intermediate route that was run by his receivers and running back. That if he was just dump it off to them and let them do some of the work that he would have had an even more productive uh, season. 
So you love Jones. You love the running game. What do you think this team can do next year? You think it's a team that goes out there, wins the division in 2021? Well, you see, our defense is pretty good. So we are yeah. going to add some more parts on that defense. I think the D-lines play it's, it's just sensational for us. Our defensive backs, you know, did well for us. You can always throw in a, a, a high pick uh, linebacker or even a D-line or even a, uh, uh, a linebacker. That ain't going to hurt you. But offensively, um, I, I think we need to get one more over-the-top receiver, somebody that can really be a threat to um, make uh, teams play cover two more often than man-to-man. Because if you ain't got that player that can separate and beat, beat you one-on-one, then the team can blitz you all day long, and, and you just don't have enough people to block them. And you see Daniel running around like a chicken with his neck cut off because he don't have the protection to do that. But you get a guy who can stretch the field for you and, and get over the top, you're going to see the Giants making some real giant steps in the up-and-coming season. So if we can do that, I mean, get a real – even if we can – Go and get one of those receivers of one of these these teams that has a receiver with a name and with speed and and young enough to uh, help Daniel grow, but yet give us a chance to uh, open up our playbook. Otis, I hope so. You know, I'm dying for this team to be competitive again. Look, the Giants know a thing or two about beating Tom Brady in the big game. You yeah. yourself are no stranger to winning a championship right here in this city in Tampa Bay. With that said, how do you see Super Bowl Fifty Five unfolding this weekend? Well, you know when you when you, when 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 Tom first got there, and you can see where there's such a big separation on uh, the way uh, Lekowitz and Bruce Arians was trying to run the team, mm. and Tom philosophy of what of what Green Bay, uh, I'm not Green Bay, is what uh, New England was doing and what Tampa was doing, so. He had to incorporate what he believed that worked in New England could work with Tampa Bay. So he had to get the parts together. He had to make sure he got the wide receiver, the intermediate route runner, which is Miller, Evans over the top, Grunk is Grunk, so you didn't lose nothing tight end. Running back here, Corey Dillon, now you got uh, uh, Fournette. You got him running the ball. So he put together uh, the old New England system with Tampa Bay player. So now he's calling plays like he did in New England, and it looks just like New England with just different parts. That's that's yep. what you got. So that system can work and have won six Super Bowls. And then you look at home, home. Well, if you take Kelsey away, if you take uh, uh, the Cheetah away, you know, and, and you take uh, – Bell and and, and and it was away from him. They still a win because Mahomes the X factor. He does things that no other quarterback can do. He, he extend plays. He, he he changes the game. So if I had to pick quarterbacks, and I had to pick what team I think is going to win the Super Bowl after doing all that analyzing and breakdown and listening to all the commentators and stuff like that. If you're going to bet, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to put all your money together and you want to bet the house and you want to bet your car, your last mortgage, whatever, put your money on the team with the most points. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Otis. Unbelievable. Now, one thing that I have to apologize for before we wrap this call up, we Hmm. met about 12 years ago. I was 10 years old and you were at City Field when the stadium opened for the New York Mets doing an autograph signing. You were sitting next to John Franco, who's a friend of the family. 
Mm-hmm. And I came up my 10 year old self with my parents and mm-hmm. had John sign a baseball. And then I handed that baseball to you because right. frankly, at 10 years old, I didn't know who the hell you were. Gotcha. And you handed me an autograph picture and turned to John and said, did you tell the kid I once ran for an 80 yard home run? So I just want to apologize <laughs> that my 10 year old self didn't know who you were when we met 12 years ago. But I promise wow. I brushed up on my Giants history since then. That's all right, man. That's, you know, that's what Asian knowledge should do for you. Absolutely. Otis, thanks so much for the time. Super Bowl 25 MVP Otis Anderson. When we come back here on Sorallo Sports Talk, Hall of Famer Marshall Falk joins the show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Great job, Joe. Great job. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. Come on, people, let's get loud. Let's get loud. Turn the music up to hear that sound. Let's get loud. Let's get loud. Ain't nobody gotta tell you what you gotta do. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk and joining the show. He was the NFL MVP in the year 2000. Super Bowl 34 champion, pro football, Hall of Famer, and the biggest snub in the history of the Heisman Trophy, Marshall Falk. Marshall, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, man. How's it going? It's going great. Obviously, it's a, it's a much different world than the last time we spoke down in Miami last year. Yeah, no. man, it is, right? Like, er- everything's virtual, and, and, and this is us right now. Hey, you know what? We're, we're rolling with the punches, and we're doing the best we can. You know, Marshall, I know last year when I had you on, we talked at length about the whole Heisman debacle. Has Gino returned the trophy to its rightful owner yet? Uh, I need to know. Uh, <laughs> Gino can have that trophy, man. I'm, 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 <laughs> Gino and I, we've come to the conclusion that that was the best thing for him and the best thing for me. It was probably his highest moment um, in, in sports. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a driving moment for me. So I think we're good. I think we're good. I'd say you made out all right. I mean, all those accolades I listed introducing you, you had quite the accomplished <laughs> career. And look, there's so much to get to, right? Super Bowl 55, your incredible work with Drug Free World. But I want to start with your Rams making headlines in the past 72 hours. Right? What does that addition of Matthew Stafford to Los Angeles do to the franchise? Okay, I mean, I'm I, I'm trying to figure out the same thing, Joe, because, <laughs> um, man, I, as everyone else is, I am like high on the talent of Matthew Stafford, but for some reason, you know, I just I, I look at the Detroit Lions and the team, and I'm just gonna, it, it's like, should I, should I blame it all on Detroit? Like, does everything in Detroit football wise just go bad, or you know, how much of it was Stafford's fault? It's hard to really judge, but I think I think what he's asking for it was similar to what I asked for, which is a clean slate. Mm-hmm. So he gets to go go to the Rams, um, a, a real innovative play caller, and Sean McVay um, last year with with, uh, with Brandon Staley, a stingy defense. Yeah, man, I mean he 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 has some things working for him um, to really help propel him to what the talent should be, or it's going to expose some other things. That's very true. And, you know, uh, it, this can shake out similarly 
to when you left the Colts for the Rams. And of course you had a lot to prove and you know, you let your play do the talking. How much did this remind you of your own situation when you saw that Stafford wanted out? Oh man, it's, it's very similar. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very similar. And, and I, you know, you you get a new coach, some things are different and you just want a fresh start. And I think that, you know, he, he, he hung in there and, and listen, they paid him handsomely. I mean, he, he, oh my God, he, (laughs) he, he got money bags while he was there. But um, but now it's about winning for him. It's about legacy. And it'll be interesting to see because they're going to need that position to maybe not make the mega money just so they can continue to put pieces around, kind of like what Tom Brady is doing. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. We'll see if us uh, if Stafford and his um, his people are willing to play ball so they can so they can put pieces around him to win. Now, Marshall, I want to shift over to your incredible career, of course. You talk about the Heisman earlier and how that was a driving factor for all of your success in the NFL. Coming out of high school, you were recruited by several top-notch programs, but not as a running back, as a cornerback. How much was that motivation for you to go out there at San Diego State and show everyone you could run run the damn ball? I'll be honest, man. It wasn't really – I didn't look at it as that. Mm -hmm. You know, I was um, was a – a young kid, I didn't know any better. I just knew I had more fun when I had the ball in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all I wanted to do. I, I wanted to, I wanted to, who, who has to, who runs more with the ball? The running back. Cool. Well, now, now that's turning into the quarterback. But, but at that point in time, it was, it was all running back for me. And that's, that's what I enjoyed. So, so I didn't really, um, I didn't really think much of it. I just kind of um, just, just took it and ran with it. I didn't, I didn't give it much thought. And what happened on that recruiting trip to Nebraska, the famous recruiting trip of yours that pretty much seemed to solidify that you were going to be an Aztec? Oh, man, it was just that that was the coldest cold I'd ever seen. And Nebraska, they they do a really good job at guys from the south. They come to Nebraska. They don't really let you go outside. They grab you from like the the, the terminal and you don't really get to touch outside. And it's 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 January. And then they bring you into this carport, into the hotel, and then they pull inside the buildings to where you don't really, man, I left the hotel and walked around a corner and felt that, I, I felt that cold and looked up on the clock and it said like eight degrees. <laughs> Hell no, nah. nah, this is from a boy, a Southern boy from New Orleans who never even had a winter coat. That was way too much. Amazing. You know, Marshall, you are undoubtedly the best dual threat running back of all time. I mean, the only player in NFL history with 6,000 yards on the ground and in the air, first player to accumulate 2,000 yards from scrimmage in four straight seasons. What do you think when you look at today's game, guys like Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, one guy who's playing in this game, maybe a little past his prime and Le'Veon Bell and how these guys have contributed in both facets of the offense. What do you make of the direction the game's gone in? Well, it's it's um, I think it's taken away the notion of the running back not being able to catch the ball, which mm-hmm. is now it's part of a requirement. Guys that are coming into the league, they they are looking at the position and they're playing the position at a high level, doing all the things that's necessary to just that that that's incorporated into playing football. Like yeah. when you think about it, it's OK, we're, we're playing football. That, that's what you do when you play football. The, the genesis of the game starts with someone throwing and someone catching. And then that person returning the ball back by throwing and the other person catching. So how could you all of a sudden get to the to, to the NFL and, 
oh, I can't catch. So now that part of the game and what they're asking the running back to do is, you know, be full service, play every down. And if you if you can't, they'll platoon some guys. But to to to, to run inside, run outside, uh, be able to catch the ball, pass block, it's it's a part of of what a running back is is asked to do now. It's the norm. And, and you know, kind of circling back to your Rams, a guy who in recent years has been able to do it all for them, of course, no longer with the team, Todd Gurley. How much of Jared Goff's success earlier in his career do you credit to Gurley and his presence both in the passing game, enabling play action, and things of that sort? Well, when you're a young quarterback, you need an attention getter. You need like a shiny object to make people kind of um, uh, put focus the attention on you. And Todd Gurley took a, took a lot of weight and a lot of pressure off of off of Jared Goff. And you know, it was um, it was it was Todd. And if if you think about the couple of years that he had with Jared, that really propelled the play action and what they were doing under McVay. And, 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 and it, it, it helped Jared to kind of get his sea legs underneath him. Um, but he, Todd right now, you know, I, I think he was on the one year deal in, in Atlanta. I'll see where he's going to land um, is, uh, is, is, is right now in that position of what do I do? Where do I go? And how do I become the back I once was if he can? That's if he's 100%. That's what we do not know. Yeah, and we certainly hope, you know, running backs don't have the longest shelf life to to play, what, no. 12 years like you did is remarkable nowadays. You know, Marshall, we're here for Super Bowl 55, and you've played in a couple of these games yourself. What's the key, all the hype, all the media attention, what's the key to staying locked in ahead of the biggest game of your life? Uh, just giving it the attention and the detail uh, and being focused on on the small things as this game starts to ostracize and become what it is. And the person who can figure out how to focus and deal with family life and deal with all the other stuff along with the game. And, and um, everybody tries to tell you, don't make it a big deal, but it's a big deal. Like it's a big deal. You cannot not make it a big deal. So you deal with it, you deal with it and you make the best of it. That's what you do. He, he who makes the best of this and, and, and enjoys it the most, and make sure that they pay attention to detail and they understand, and this is huge, they understand that it's just a game, but this is a big game. <laughs> yeah, but you got to go out and perform. Absolutely, Marshall. Now, look, you're here with an incredible cause, with Drug Free World. And, you know, I need to know, as a kid who grew up in the Desire Projects down in New Orleans, yeah. one of the toughest projects in the country before it was demolished some years back, what does your work and being able to give back now with Drug Free World mean to you? Well, it's for me, it's um, it's giving them the resources that I didn't have, the resources that a lot of places don't have, which is just education and information about what decision that you are going to make. A lot of the kids today, they listen, they'll hop on their cell phone and they'll Google anything. But when it comes to something like drugs, they'll just experience something with a friend telling them, hey, try this. Yeah. And we just want to educate people so they understand. And once you have that knowledge and you're making a good decision, I believe that when you read about it and you understand the statistics of it and what happens and the inroads to how it has derailed so many lives, you make the better decision. Now, it doesn't stop there with us because we continue to educate 
um, whether it's teachers by providing uh, uh, kits that we have for educational kits for, for teachers or even parents, giving them a resource and where to go. If you didn't grow up around drugs, you may miss the signs that your kid has a problem. And where do you go to get that education? Well, drugfreeworld.org is where you go. We provide it. We have it in 20 different languages. And, you know, I just look at it like this. Everybody has an option. Everybody has a choice in this world. As long as you make, make an educated decision, you're going to make the better decision. Marshall, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And it, it's incredibly important that you make parents and teachers alike cognizant of what's going on with the youth. It's incredible work. And I appreciate what you're doing. Look, before I let you go, you've played against Tom Brady in this game almost 20 years ago. What did you notice back then that's still evident, if not better, about his game now? Um, just how poised and how ready for the moment he is. Mm -hmm. even, even back then, he was ready for the moment. Um, I watched him against Green Bay. He was ready for the moment. And, um, you know, you just that, that's just something that you have. You either have it or you don't, and he has it. Yeah, he absolutely does. You know, when you played him in that Super Bowl some 19 years ago, you went through Andy Reid to get to Tom Brady, had the yeah, game of your yeah. career against Andy yeah. Reid's Eagles. What got into you that game? Oh, nothing, man. It was just a, it was a, it was a need to to you know, they um the way they were playing, they they uh, they dared us to run the football and so when Mike Martz made that decision like, "Hey, we came out of halftime. He said, listen, we're going to run the ball. I just buckled it up. <laughs> you don't turn, as a running back, you don't turn that down when the coach say, hey, we're going to run the ball this half. It's like, I think I put my chin strap on in a locker room. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, uh, this week it's Tom Brady versus Andy Reid. You know them both well. How do you see Super Bowl 55 unfolding, Marshall? Um, man, I, I just always, I don't know why, because – you know, you, you take Tom Brady's age and you're like, oh, no, nah, there's no way dude's playing in another Super Bowl, win another Super Bowl. And as fantastic as the Kansas City Chiefs are, you know, it's hard to go against Tom Brady. But I just I just wonder, can Tampa defense pull it off again? How much man can they play against Kansas City and bring pressure? Like you have to make a decision against Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And man... I'm, I'm just going to go with Kansas City here. I think it's going to be a bomb burner. I think the spread is like three. I think 35-30. Tom, okay. Tom will have a chance to drive him down at the end. Well, it, it seems almost every Super Bowl Tom's in, it does come down to that. You look at those Giants games, he had chances at the end. It's, it's whether or not the defense breaks at that point. Yep, that's, that's how I see it. And I can't believe I'm going against Tom Brady again. <laughs> Marshall, that might make two of us. We'll see my picks coming out later in the week. But I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining the show. All right, man. Take care. We'll be right back here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word here on this day two of Radio Row edition of Serralo Sports Talk. 
What incredible spots by Super Bowl 25 MVP Otis Anderson, Hall of Famer Marshall Falk, and you know, that Otis Anderson conversation got me thinking, and I think I want to spend my final word today talking about the upcoming NFL Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame revelation. They're down to 15 finalists, five of whom will be selected this weekend to be enshrined in Canton forever, and this is going to be a tough decision. You know, first off, looking at a guy like Otis Anderson, you know, some people might say, of course, he's biased. He's talking about himself. It's understandable that he wants to be in the Hall of Fame, but you're looking at a guy who had an absolutely incredible career, ran for over a thousand yards in five of his first six seasons, and frankly, the only reason it wasn't all six is because his fifth year was shortened due to the 1982 strike in the NFL, came to the Giants, had 1,000-yard season, with New York, happened to win Super Bowl MVP that year. I mean, if you look at his numbers, he was 7th all-time in terms of rushing touchdowns when he retired, 8th all-time in terms of rushing yards, eclipsed the 10,000-yard mark for his career. You know, I know now his numbers fall in the 20s in terms of all-time ranks, but top 10 in both touchdowns and yards when he retired? Otis Anderson, two Super Bowl rings, one Super Bowl MVP, really needs to be considered for Canton. Now, looking at this year's class, the 15 finalists we're down to, it is some class. You know, four first-timers, Jared Allen, the feared defensive end of the Minnesota Vikings, spent a little time with the Kansas City Chiefs as well. Calvin Johnson, who left Detroit retiring at the age of 30, but was by far the most dominant receiver in the league during his tenure with the Lions. D-back Charles Woodson, And, of course, probably the second greatest quarterback of all time, Peyton Manning, who will be a shoo-in. So four first ballot guys, first-year eligible players, all four of them deserving. Peyton's a shoo-in. You know he's going to make it. And that leaves four open spots. Let's take a look at the rest of the ballot. I'm going to give my five. I think it's Peyton. I think his teammate, Reggie Wayne, Colts receiver from 01 to 2014 got a Super Bowl ring, appeared in another with Indianapolis. I think Peyton and Reggie going in together is just so appropriate. I mean, Reggie, you can make the argument a top five wide receiver of all time. He's got to be enshrined this year. Three spots remaining, and I think another receiver gets in. And this is a stacked wide receiver class. I mean, you've got Torrey Holt, who, of course, won a Super Bowl. Was I just had Marshall Falk on, was Marshall's teammate in that St. Louis team, that greatest show on turf, you know, I think Torrey Holt has to wait another year because Reggie Wayne, I think, gets in. And then Calvin Johnson, another first ballot guy like Peyton Manning. You know, I know Johnson retired at the age of 30, and they might hold that against him this year on the ballot. But if you look at what Calvin Johnson did in just, what, eight, nine years in the league, the most dominant receiver, a perennial all-pro, and he played on all awful teams. I mean, you know, all due respect to a good friend of mine who comes on the show, Dan Orlovsky over at ESPN now, the former Lions quarterback, but Orlovsky and Johnson know they were on that Lions team that went 0-16. Those were some dreadful Detroit Lions teams that Calvin Johnson was a part of. I know he called it quits at the age of 30, but so did Barry Sanders, and Sanders, I'll argue, was the best running back of all time. So Calvin Johnson, to me, joins Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne on my ballot. And with two spots left, I got to show the big guys up front some love. Tony Baselli, 
He's been waiting a long time for this call. He's a finalist now. The only thing working against Baselli is a seven-year career. He had a really, really short career. But during that time, he played with Jacksonville from 95 to 01, was the best offensive tackle in the game. Pro bowler every year. All pro almost every year. I mean, this is a guy I believe he's got six all-pro teams in seven seasons. Tony Baselli was one of the most dominant offensive lineman to ever take the field and I know injuries cut his career short but man this is a guy who after watching what he did on the field you know and this kind of goes with Calvin Johnson not a lot of years out there but what he did in that time out there Tony Baselli is a Hall of Famer and with four offensive players on my ballot I've got to show defense some love and to me this comes down to a couple of first year guys Jared Allen or Charles Woodson, and it's no disrespect to John Lynch, of course, how great would it be, the Super Bowl's in Tampa this year, all the festivities this weekend are in Tampa, and John Lynch, a longtime Tampa Bay Buck, he's on the ballot, Rondy Barber, another Tampa Bay Buck, guy who spent his entire career from 97 to 2012, he's on the ballot as well, one of the finalists, but I can't show the Bucks any love when it comes to my fifth selection. And unfortunately, I'd love to get Jared Allen in there, but it's got to go to Charles Woodson. I mean, you want to talk about a shutdown, versatile defensive back. Woodson, throughout his career, one of the best cornerbacks in the game when he needed to make the move to safety a little later on in his career. Absolutely dominated in that respect. Was a, an absolute ball hawk in coverage. One of the hardest hitters in any secondary during his time in the league. Charles Woodson, first ballot. He's got to get my vote. So there it is. Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Calvin Johnson, Tony Baselli, and Charles Woodson. Those are the five guys I'm looking for to be enshrined in Canton this weekend. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk, day two from Radio Row, is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to Otis Anderson and the legend Marshall Falk for joining the show. Guys, I'll see you tomorrow.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.